Well, thank you, Greg. Um, we're certainly very glad to be here, too. Uh, it's been such a blessing being a part of this church. Um, well, I'd like to begin tonight by uh, asking you if you um, remember what it was like to be a kid and to have your parent tell you, um, you know, no, you cannot go to that movie. Um, no, you cannot go to that friend's house. No, you cannot um, do this thing that you have your little heart set on but, uh, and, and to be told no. And if you remember, think how your thought process of, well, that is just so utterly absurd. Why can't I just go see this movie? It's just ridiculous. And you, you work yourself up into this sort of rebellious, you know, angry thing. And it's interesting because when you get to be my age, um, now you have your kids, it's, it's I'm the one telling them no, right? And um, I'm the one uh, saying, no, you can't, you can't go to that movie. And then they tell me things like, um, it's not like I'm going like, to go do the things I see in the movie, you know? And, and I say, well, that's not really the problem. The problem is, and then I start to explain myself, and I start to reason with them, and then I realize, why am I, this is ridiculous, this is pointless, they're not going to understand the reasoning. So what I've started doing as I'm learning how to be a parent is I put my arm around my child, and I kind of whisk them away where no one else can hear, and I say, um, do you know that I love you? And they say yes, and I say do you, do you know that I know things you don't know? And they say, yes. And I say, do you, do you trust me? And they say, yes. Um, and I go away hoping that the answer is yes. Um, but that's the crux of the issue. And I think that um, our text tonight is about being patient and trusting God in the midst of trials. Um, being patient and trusting God in the midst of testing and in the midst of trials. Um, so just a brief recap on David's situation. Um, so David's already been anointed as uh, to be the next king, anointed by God's prophet Samuel. And the problem is that he's not yet been crowned king because there's another king who is still on the throne and who is a maniac and who is seeking his life and is pursuing him and is hunting him. And in fact, um, we're, in a, we're in a period now, this chapter and sub, a couple subsequent chapters is a period where um, David's going to be pursued by Saul uh, and Saul's trying to kill him. And so that's the context of 1 Samuel 24. So if you'll turn with me to page, it's page 246 in your pew Bible. It's, it's a little bit lengthy, so just bear with me and read along um, as I'm going to go ahead and read the whole thing. When Samuel returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheep's fold by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. 
Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart was struck. David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But, the hand, but my hand shall not be against you. As the Proverbs of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul and then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So I'd like to propose three things that we can do to be patient while we trust God in the midst of trials. Number one is to understand the, the temptations that trials present us. Number two is to remember the purpose that God has for us in trials. And number three is to cling to the God of trials. Okay, so first thing I'd like to consider is 
um, understanding the temptation of trials. You know, when we have, when we have a, a time of testing or a time of trials, when we're in a situation where we're under pressure, um, it sparks a inner crisis in our minds and in our hearts. And we have an inner discussion with ourselves, right? We have, I mean, you know, it's not exactly the angel and the, and the devil and, and, and each shoulder, but we have a, a conviction of what God might have us do in a situation. But then we have this cloud of voices that are saying, well, what about this? And what about this? And have you considered this? And what about this? Right? And not all those voices are good voices. Not all those voices are voices that are out for your good. Some of those voices are out to destroy your soul, actually. And I think that it's helpful to pause when we, when we see, um, uh, in this case, David under duress, um, to, to think through what might be going on in his head. Okay, to think through what he's up against in these, in these trials. So the first trial we'd like to look at is, um, it's in, let's look at verse 4 together. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seems good, seem good to you. And then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So what's going on here is that David and his men are hiding in this cave. And remember, their, their lives are... Saul's come out with 3,000 men. And David has approximately 600 men in the cave. They're way outnumbered. Their very lives are at risk, right? And so to, Saul, to David's men's eyes, God has given Saul into, into their hands. He served him up on a silver platter. And the first temptation that I, that I want to look at is the temptation to take the expedient way out in the midst of converging pressures. That's a lot of words. Now, let me try to unpack that. The temptation to take the easy, expedient way out in the, in the midst of converging pressures. So what pressures was David under when Saul came into the cave to go to the bathroom, so he's in there all by himself, totally vulnerable. David, David's men see it, and they're like, go kill him. And I want to think through a little bit what, what pressures he was under. He was under the pressure not only to kill Saul for himself and get out from under the threat of, of his own life being in danger... But he was also under this immense pressure from all of his men that are like, this is the right thing to do. And that's the type of pressure we can also relate to, right? When we've all been in a position where we have people that we, it's not even so much the opinions of people out there that we don't know and we don't trust. It's the people, the opinions of the people close to us, right? And they come to us and they say, just do this thing. Just do this thing. Look how God's, look at how it's all aligned perfectly. So David's got this pressure of to to kill Saul to spare his own life, David's got this pressure of his own friends and, 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 and men are saying, this is what God wants you to do. Um, and David's own desire to have the throne that God's promised him. 
But David had the conviction that this was wrong. David had the conviction that God did not, even though the circumstances looked a certain way, that God did not want him to just kill Saul. Because Saul was God's anointed. Saul was still in the office of king that God had established. And in David's mind, this was a vertical, um, this was out of love and respect and honor for God who had established this man as his man. David did not feel like he had the right to kill this king, even though it would be expedient to do so. We can almost hear God's. We can almost hear God saying, um, "To kill him, to kill Saul now would be murder. It would be poison, poison to your soul, and it would taint your future kingship. Do not do it. Trust me. I will handle this in my own timing." But we can also imagine the voices right in David's head. We can imagine the voices saying things like. If I don't do this, things could get worse. The situation could get worse. I could get killed. Um, I, he could, you know, David might tell himself, if I don't do this, I'm going to keep putting my friends in danger. My friends may die. These men who are following me. In other words, he'd think of other people that are going to be put in jeopardy. Um, he may say to himself, I may never get this chance again. Man, have you ever been there? I've been there. Have you ever been facing a test or a trial and have that little voice come and say, you may never get this chance again. And it's like, oh, that, that pressure sets in, right? You know, if we compare this, um, situ- this temptation to, to Saul, uh, back in chapter 13, um, Saul faced sort of a similar situation where, where Samuel said, look, I need you to wait for me seven days. I'll come. We'll do the sacrifices. God will bless you, and then you can go in and and fight the Philistines. Well, Saul's there. The Philistines are mustered, and there's a lot of them, and he's scared. And Saul's own people are starting to waver, and they're starting to, to, you, you know, there are all these converging pressures on Saul. Multiple pressures are coming at him at the same time. And you know what he did? He decided to go ahead and offer the sacrifices and not obey God and cave into the and do the expedient thing. And if you remember, um, that's when Samuel said, um, "You've disobeyed the voice of God, and the throne is going to be taken away from you." All right, so that's one temptation we can observe in the passage. Second temptation that David faced um, is the temptation to take judgment and vengeance into his own hands and not leave it to God. So if you look at verse 12 with me, this is David speaking, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. So obviously David passed this test and he decided to not take vengeance into his, into his own hand. But we can imagine how easy that would have been to do because Saul was so wicked. Saul had just massacred 85 priests of God, God's own people. And you can be sure that David probably had it in his head. These were people David knew. David knew all about this. Not only did Saul murder these priests, 
but he also went and wiped out the entire town they were from. Women, children, infants. Saul was off the rails completely. And you could, you could hear the, I could hear the voices in David's head. This man deserves to die. Take vengeance into your own hand and do it. But he restrained his hand. I think he felt convicted that God said, Vengeance is mine. I will take care of this in my own way, in my own timing. The ends do not justify the means. Okay, the third temptation I think we see in the passage is all the way at the end, the very last verse. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Samuel returned home, excuse me, then Saul returned home, but David and his men went out to the stronghold. Went up to the stronghold. So this is, you know, love the way the Bible puts things sometimes. It's just sort of this little matter-of-fact period at the end of the sentence, which is,
This is not a doctrine in a book. This is a real person. 